Welcome back, Rage Nation. Definitely not PR friends. Myself, Pete. He needs to stop, like, fucking getting cute with these kicks. John the Mountain Man Stokes. You're not putting them on my models, motherfucker. Chris the non-tech Asian. Put the tape measure up and get some wages. You, yeah, no, you really frustrated me. You walked away and you came back and your scalpel had been thrown across the room. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. I will will share with you my one rage quit story. You know, I'm a robot and I don't have a solo press now eight. This is going to be a really great opportunity for everybody to see how you effed up. Welcome to the Rage Nation. There's probably a bunch of you that don't know who we are, but we like to call ourselves the Rage Nation because this is the Rage well, the, Quit Wire. They're, they're the Rage Nation. The listeners are Rage Nation. We're just the people raging out. Who you hear on the other side is Chris, and my name is Pete. Yeah, we're tabletop gamers. Yeah, we try. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, we're, we're a tabletop gaming podcast. We focused mainly on Guild Ball in the past which is a pretty fun tabletop game. We've also done things like Kingdom Death Monster and a few other things that we've talked about. But one thing that we've gotten into is the Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. Which is a really, really cool tabletop game. It's, you know, based off of Game of Thrones, which is awesome because, I mean, who doesn't love Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. Maybe if you're like a tight ass. (laughs) So Chris ended up getting us into this game because, I don't know, probably... How many months ago, Chris? Maybe like 10 months ago or something, you got the Kickstarter? Well, there was actually a local shop that I went through getting the game. I was going to back the Kickstarter, but then our shop, final round, got multiple copies of the Kickstarter and the Kickstarter exclusives in. So I actually bought it from my local shop. But yes, it was a Kickstarter back in the day. And just recently, we started playing it. And I think the reason why we've been kind of sitting on it for so long is because for a while there, it was pretty much just the Kickstarter and you could either do the Starks or the Lannisters, right? Yep, which I was happy to do because, you know, go Team Stark. Yeah, and then you actually gave, you didn't give me, but you let me borrow the Lannister half of it. And and we never played. Well, we, we basically about, what, maybe a month ago, we started playing a couple of games with the Lannisters and the Starks. Yeah, yeah, we kind of got, got started... Uh, there were a few other guys in our little meta here that we do a lot of our gaming with that they started getting into it and they started buying starters and, you know, branching out into the new expansions that they have on it. So the other factions like the Night's Watch and the Free Folk and all of those. So we've got like a little bit of a crew starting to build up here. And I think that's why we want to put a little bit of focus on this they're coming out with all these different factions and turns out I'm kind of digging this free folk faction that just came out. So I ended up picking up that starter and needless to say, I'm giving you your Lannister stuff back because I guess I'm going to go with the free folk for a while. Okay. Well, I guess I'll have an extra faction of Lannisters to sit on my shelf. Yeah. But you know, it'll be minus the mountain that rides. Cause I sold that on eBay. That's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just joking. You, you, but you, I was gonna say you better fucking not, <laughs> dude. That model has gone through the fucking roof. And I think this is a good opportunity to explain to people that are just now listening to us that we do uh, use some profanity in this podcast. It's not called, you know, the Stay Calm Wire. It's called the Rage Quit Wire. So 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, I don't know very many. You know, put the put the women and children to bed before you turn on this podcast because, uh, yeah, I'm gonna one, I'm gonna speak my mind, and two, I'm going to speak it in a method that is going to be offensive to some. So buckle up. It's, it's gonna it's gonna make women blush. <laughs> yeah, it'll make some men blush. It has made some men blush. There you go. And got me some trouble on various social media sites. <laughs> yeah, and we've been doing a podcast for a while. Chris and I have been running the Rage Quit Wire for actually it's about two years now. We've been doing uh doing the podcast, Chris. Man, time flies. So I so know, much right? to bitch about. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about tabletop games, talk about other games. What are we gonna start talking about with uh this game? A song of ice and fire. Song of something. Wow, you really need to read the books. This is embarrassing. <laughs> I did start reading the books, I'll have you know. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you figured now that the TV show's done, you can start on the books? That's right. Okay. Well, because well, I have a lot of people that say the books are better, but you know. Yeah, people always say that, but like, I'm kind of like, how is that possible? Because I just got to watch people sword fight in real life. So, in your face. And a dragon in real life. So, anyway, wh- what we're planning on doing with this game, just like we've done with Guild Ball in the past, is we'll look at the what's going on in our area. We'll share our experiences, what we think of models, what we think of gameplay, uh, what we think of the state of the game uh, based on everything that we're experiencing. So we're going to do it from that third party third person perspective of here's what's going on. Here's what we're seeing. And we could be right or we could be wrong. We'll probably be wrong a lot. And uh, that's probably the most fun parts. But, you know, if you want to hear breakdowns on Song of Ice and Fire, we're going to give you that. Yeah. And this is a game we've really gotten into. And it's because one, I come from a Warhammer fantasy background all the way from like sixth edition, which for those of you that don't know, has a you know some similar mechanics to the Song of Ice and Fire. So I'm definitely really excited about this game, and, and that's why we're talking about it. First, before we get started, obviously, Chris, you said you're playing the Starks, and you, you've been mostly just exclusively playing the Starks, whereas I got into the Lannisters a bit, but I picked up the Free Folk, and I actually kind of like what they're what they're all about. So yeah, I know. But before we talk about specific like units and stuff like that, What are some general things that you like about the game itself? Okay, so I've never played a game that has like the movement trays. And so I actually wasn't really sure about that mechanic and whether or not I'd like that. In this case, I really like it. I really think that the movement is very clean. Uh, I like that the measurement of things isn't as tight as some other games it's it it seems like a little bit more casual a little bit less stiff with making sure that this has to be exactly this place like there's even mechanics in the rule books that say like oh yeah if you're trying to go into this this set of models or your opponent's tray and there's nowhere to move that you can move your models over or their models over and make it work basically and so i I like that it's a little bit more casual and not as tight with the movement options yeah, I definitely think like the core mechanics are definitely brass tacks, right? They're kind of like, you know, it's just, we got the basics down. Here's generally how they work. And we realize that there will be some weird circumstances. And here's how you can 
you can work around them. And the movement trays and the maneuvering is something that I love because I used to play Warhammer Fantasy and that's how you maneuvered around the board. So I definitely like that. And there's a ton of similarities with it, especially with the march orders and the charges and things like that. It's just kind of interesting how this game decided to do it. And I also like how the stats are just bare. Like your stats are this, and then you have modifications that you can add to the dice rolls depending on what's happening. So like, you know, your your weapons are always going to need fours to hit or your saves are always going to be fives or you're going to need eights when you do, you know, your, your checks. And I just like that you don't modify those. You modify the dice once you put in whatever modifications there are. So I just like that because it keeps it clean. Anybody that played Games Workshop games back when you had to compare weapon skills to, you know, your opponent's weapon skill, and then you had to compare your strength against their toughness, and there was two charts you had to look at, and, you know, it could go up or down, and if it was double their toughness, this happened. You don't have that in Game of Thrones, which definitely makes it simple and clean as far as what's happening once you get into combat. So I definitely like that part of it as well. Yeah, I think that the move, the mechanics of how you roll dice are very easy to grasp. And that's one thing that we've liked with Guild Ball is, you know, Guild Ball is very, very simple. You, you're you ready to roll your dice. Hey, what's your defense? What's your armor? You roll them. You take out the the armor and all that kind of stuff. This isn't the exact same mechanics but it is simple like that right i roll my dice all my fours hit go ahead and roll your saves you've got five saves to make and you need threes or whatever it is and so it's very simple as far as how you compare them and being able to know what your cards do and having it be self-explanatory that way yeah and another thing i do like about the game is a problem that we've had with guild ball is that the games can become very repetitive and very stagnant. And I think you can agree oh, yeah. Chris, that your goal is to get to 12 points and there's only so many ways you can get to 12 points in guild ball. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't feel, I know a lot of people have said this and I think that I, I understand what they're saying, but I don't think that's terrible about guild ball, but the nature of the game of guild ball is the objective is scoring a goal. Right. So you can't really move that objective all over the board. It would mess up the concept of, you know, a soccer game. So I like that in this game, and this is the first game that I'm really getting into that has very different scenarios where you can play for, you can play scenarios where it is about killing your opponents. You can play scenarios where you get no victory points for killing your opponents. You can play scenarios where you're basically defending a castle and there's advantages and disadvantages there. Like there's so many different game modes and I feel like I'm always getting a new game, but the game modes aren't so incredibly complex that when I have a new scenario, I'm like, what the hell? Like I need some hacker to hack this, but then this guy's in camouflage. You know what game I'm talking about. So, <laughs> so I, I feel like it doesn't add this crazy complexity. A lot of times I sit down and play and with a guy like Nick or Russ, these are two, two of the guys that are in our, our group. 
we'll just say, hey, what's a scenario that you want to play? And we'll randomly just kind of pick one out that maybe we just haven't played before or have less experience with. And we kind of learn as we go. And I've noticed every single time it keeps the game fresh, but it also doesn't add so much complexity where there's a problem. Now, this is also the Song of Ice and Fire, which is the Game of Thrones, right? Looking at it, though, there is this like scheming and this, you know, trying to get the throne and trying to get the power. And it's awesome that this game incorporated that into the game, right? Because you have this sideboard and the sideboard is this. This was something I didn't realize was important the first time we played it. But after getting schooled by one of our locals, Nick, who just beat the bejesus out of me using the sideboard, I'm like, man, I need to start bringing some of these, you know, non-combat units because this sideboard is kicking my butt. I, I really like that element of that game of this game, and that's what makes it so different than other games that we've played. Is you have all of the stuff that's going on on the field of battle, and then you have this political game that's going on off on the side. And a tip for new players that don't have a lot of experience with the game you're initially going to say, okay, well, I'm going to spend all my points using all of my units on the field. And that's what I do. I'm going to, yeah. And I'm going to try and buff up (laughs) my units with these attachments and all this type of stuff. And then once you learn a little bit, you're like, oh shit, I've got to dominate the sideboard instead. (laughs) So let me go take like two or three of these NCUs and make sure that I can control the crown or make sure that I can control the, the money bag or whatever it is that you need to control. And I really like that element because it creates that political game behind the scenes that happens with any war and you don't often see in miniatures war game. Yeah, it's definitely really cool. And like I said, the complexity that it adds on top of the simple mechanics really make this game interesting. And, and another kind of complexity that you, you add to the game that makes it really flavorful is you also have, I mean, I don't know what they call it, Chris, off the top of my head, but it's basically like the plot cards, right? Yeah. The tactics deck, that tactics deck. You want to explain that real quick? Yeah. So every faction has its own deck, right? So you have some basic things that you'll draw cards each turn basically. And, and these can kind of change the tide of battle by playing them at the right moment. So maybe it's a card that, I'll just use a simple example. You can re-roll your dice or it's a card where you can uh, get an extra movement out of a out of a unit or whatever it might be. Right. So uh, they're they're important and you have a standard set of cards that are just dependent on your faction. But then you also get cards that get shuffled in that change depending on which commander you choose. So a Stark deck that is led by Ned Stark or Rob Stark is very different than one that is led by uh, Holland Reed or uh, let's see, the great John Umbers, you know, some, somebody that, that is, is a different commander. So depending on who you like as your commander, you can put a lot of flavor into it. And these commanders and, and unit attachments even are very unique in the sense that they're not always playing the same type of game. Sometimes you're playing your commander as a attachment to a unit. It's on the field. Other times you're playing your commander as uh, 
a political piece that's on that sideboard. So it depends on how you like to play and you get a lot of variety where one model is able to have a few different functions depending on how you like it. Yeah, and that was one thing I was going to say that I really liked about the game is that depending on which you know leader you bring, that can change the way that your army uh, basically plays all together. And even in that tactics deck, like for example, if I bring the Giant's Bane with the Wildlings, right? Basically, he focuses on melee and how to improve uh, improve the fighting of your units. Whereas if I bring, you know, the king beyond the wall, he's doing more diplomatic things. He's working on the leadership. He's he's making it more effective for your your forces to activate and to maybe outmaneuver your opponents. So depending on which one you bring, and this is in all the factions, it's going to change the way that your game plays. Yeah, and I and I'm a big fan of that customizable aspect. Yeah, it just it makes it more interesting. It makes it so you can come up with these cool combos in between your uh, non-combat units and your your combat attachments and and the different fighting forces that you have. So it just it's a really cool mechanic that they put into the game that really makes it unique and flavorful. I, I agree, and I, I look forward to seeing how that changes. I've already seen that there are little things that they've started doing to bring a lot more flavor to existing models. For instance, you get these Stark Sworn Swords that are, are a pretty typical you know, unit of soldiers with swords, right? But when I bought the Stark Heroes, or I guess it came with the Kickstarter, the Stark Heroes number one box, which had Ned Stark in it, one of the cards that it came with, one of those oversized tarot size cards, was Eddard's Honor Guard. So now I can play those models that I already have as Honor Guard models that are specifically designed to go with Ned Stark. I feel like you're really getting the most out of the models that you have because you can kind of change and adapt them. And I do like that they're releasing the Heroes boxes so that can keep your, your armies more... Uh, just more flavorful and different depending on how you like to run them. And then they're also releasing different units as the game continues to expand. So it's really exciting to see what units they're releasing for each faction. And I know that factions and next houses that they're planning on releasing are the uh, Baratheons and Targaryens, right? That's one thing that I've, I've liked. And obviously knowing the TV show, knowing the books are things that we can look forward to is when they first released this, Starks versus Lannisters made a lot of sense. You also had some, you know, neutral units that could play both ways, like the Boltons or like Littlefinger or Varys. And that all made sense, right? And then they decided, okay, we're going to start expanding. We're going to add new factions. The first two factions were the Night's Watch and then the Free Folk. And now this year they're planning on releasing, from what I understand, Baratheon models, which will be their own faction, but they will include the Tyrells. So you'll have, you know, kind of those houses that are kind of in the middle of uh, the Seven Kingdoms. And then the Targaryens, and they've already released some awesome screenshots of like Dothraki, and uh, they have said that they're going to have the dragons, and I'm sure that there will be, you know, Unsullied and all of the various personalities and and characters that Daenerys collected over in Easteros. And so I'm excited for both of those. I think that everyone is excited to 
consider what they'll get with Dorn or the Greyjoys or the Aarons and so on and so forth. I like that no matter which starter box you pick up, it comes with everything that you need to play the game. So the models are already assembled, which is a big thing because I know there's a ton of people out there that don't want to spend the time putting models together. And the color, the plastics are colored. So you technically don't even need to paint your stuff because you can tell the difference between the different houses. I also like that it comes with the tactics board. You get the rule book. You get all the cards you need to play for each unit. You get even dice. You get measuring. You have cardboard. How do those dice roll for you? Okay, well, listen, I said that you can play with the dice. I didn't say you had to like the dice, okay? (laughs) Because, man, (laughs) those free folk dice, they fucking sucked. (laughs) I was so mad. So so what do you think? Because you paint and you do a lot of painting. So... What do you think of the quality of these models uh, for pre-assembled and all that kind of stuff? So I tell you what, for being already built models, they are pretty superb. Like if I was going to grade them, I'd probably put them somewhere on the nine level in between one and 10, just because they're solid. Uh, There are some parts that can tend to be a little breakable. I noticed on a lot of Nick's Lannister models, some of the bottom of the hilts of the swords uh, we're starting to mm. come off a little bit, but that's pretty normal for something that's that thin of a plastic. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it a super ding on that, but you just have to be aware of it. Um, I think the model, the plastic quality is pretty good. It doesn't seem like it melts very easy. Uh, for example, I had mine in my car for maybe about an hour this afternoon while I was running errands and none of the plastics warped or anything. So that was a good sign. And I started painting up the giants for the free folk. Got them painted real quick. Uh, No issue with the primer. No issue with the plastic not holding the paint. Uh, Everything's really good on it. So I'm definitely impressed with the quality. And honestly, that's one of the reasons I got into this game. Because you and I did that review. And I'm going to actually repost it so people can see it. Where we unboxed the Kickstarter. And one of the things we kept saying was, my God, look at the quality of these models. Yeah, I, I, the thing that I really liked is a lot of times when you go to plastic models, you can lose a lot of detail, but I feel like the detail on these models is really clean, and obviously the detail is going to be great with bigger models like those giants, but even with the smaller models, I feel like the textures of the shields and the textures of the cloaks and, and all of those types of little things are very, very clean. And I, I'm really impressed, especially the, the fact that it's in plastic. Yeah. And something I can definitely appreciate is that a lot of the models have like the sigils of their house on them. So you don't have to like try to freehand or do any of that dumb transfer stuff. Cause I hate games where it's like, oh, you got to try to transfer this little, you know, plastic slip onto the model and then it ends up wearing off anyways. Or, you know, you got to try to freehand, you know, the house sigil and it's just, it's it's great that they included that on the models so you can clearly tell this is a Lannister, that's a Stark. Yeah, that makes things a lot easier. We've got a handful of games in. What are some of the experiences you've had with it, Chris? Like, have you noticed any imbalances? Have you noticed any anything that you've been like, man, this is really cool or anything where you're like, well, that's kind of fucking broken? I mean, okay. <laughs> what are some thoughts you have? So... Uh, As I've started playing, I feel like the game is very balanced. And I feel like if you notice imbalances in your meta, you have enough 
in the way of options to where you could counter that with a little bit of planning and research and a little bit of homework. So I feel like the game is very balanced and I feel like it's the type of game where, you know, typically the better player will be victorious, which I think most people are looking for in, you know, a competitive tabletop game. And so I really appreciate that. As I look at the models, of course, there are ones that are just a tremendous pain in the ass, but I don't, I, I haven't felt like they're out of balance or anything like that. So what would you say is, as you've been using the Starks, what are some things that you've liked doing? Or is there some part of the game that you really like playing as opposed to the other? Sure. So this is one where I don't believe, a lot of times people use the rule of cool, right? Where they just want to have the coolest things put on the table. Um, and and definitely everything's playable, at least from what I've seen. But I do feel like you need to kind of exercise some restraint there. And what I mean by that is if you decide, hey, I just want to put every wolf on the board and I'm just going to run all these dire wolves and just kick people's asses with them, that's not going to work out for you, right? You're going to get your dire wolves killed <laughs> and you're going to lose. <laughs> so... Uh, you have to look at the synergies that are going on there. I feel like there are some great ones to be had, but typically I'm not putting out everything that I want to play. I'm kind of shuffling it around and trying to kind of find my way with uh, various other models that I think will play well together. Yeah, what's a synergy that you've been enjoying so far? So one that I've really liked is Ned as a NCO because he has an ability that allows people to heal. And then I'll put the Umber Berserkers on the board with that. And so the reason why I like that combo is the Umber Berserkers, as they take damage, they start hulking out and they actually start rolling more dies to hit. They just go crazy. And so you're in kind of this catch-22 with them where you don't want them to get killed off, but you want them to have some damage to where they're able to hit harder and Ned provides that answer, right? Because Ned is able to heal those berserkers and at all times keep some damage on them to where they're able to do a little bit more. And he just kind of keeps them in that little sweet spot where they're able to do, do more damage to my opponents. And so I really like that combo. And in that case, I'm not talking about attaching Ned to the unit. I'm not talking about putting Ned on the field. I'm talking about using his uh, NCU ability instead of, you know, what, what most people are using him for on the field. And I, I don't think that I'm reinventing the wheel. I think there are a lot of people that use him that way, but it's a nice combo that I don't think is an obvious combo. Now, one thing I would say from our early game experiences that I would recommend, especially for new players getting into this game, is we've played enough tabletop games now where I think when we introduced ourselves to this game, we did it kind of the right way. And what I mean by that is, there's a lot of complexity to this game, but I feel like the smart thing to do is each game start at the basic levels and then add a new part of the game each time you play. So something that we did is we played our first game and we're like, okay, let's just kill stuff. So we just lined up, we just beat the crap out of each other. And then the next game we're like, okay, now let's add some of those you know, non-combat units. So we added some of that, started playing with the sideboard. 
after that, we're like, okay, well, now let's try adding, you know, the tactics cards. Okay, well, now let's try to use this. And then we're going to start doing the terrain. So you do this and add a little bit each time. That way you don't overwhelm yourself because it's easy to look at all the rules. And then next thing you know, you're just staring at the rule book for over an hour. So it's just good to just build up game by game, adding a little bit as you go. I totally agree with that. So let me tell you the story of like our second or third game playing and how we started adding in more components, right? So we start lining up, right? And Pete's playing the Lannisters and I'm playing the Starks and I line up my guys and Pete's like, oh, I'm going to put this, uh, I'm going to put this model on one of your units. And I'm like, well, what, what? Yeah, what, what are you talking host- about? Hostage Jamie. <laughs> yeah, so so there's a model that is Jamie with his hand chopped off that's a hostage. And for those that have played, they know exactly what I'm talking about. But for those that haven't, Jamie gets added to one of my units. And now every time I activate that unit, I have to start rolling to kill off my own guys. So Jamie's like yep. this hostage that's stabbing my guys in the background. And so I'm just like, well, <laughs> that's fucked up um and so then i'm like okay well i'm gonna do this and i pete looks over at my units and he's like oh you have to put those uh stark outriders on the table and i'm like oh no i don't because i've got like this attachment of brendan tully and that means that i can like bring them on a table edge at a later point in the game (laughs) and pete goes uh, so yeah, can we just not do that? <laughs> and they're thinking like, you already put your fucking handless Jamie on my guys. <laughs> but Pete's like, yeah, cause those guys are going to run in my ass and just create a bad experience. And uh, that was before I knew the game. I mean, honestly, if we would have played it out, I think it would have turned out okay. But in my head, I'm just like, I'm not mentally equipped to deal with these guys running all over the board, especially starting in my <laughs> deployment zone. Yeah. So that, so that was, that was kind of fun. And obviously it's great having those experiences kind of early on as you're, as you're learning and all of that. Uh, yeah. So um, I guess to segue a little bit, that Jamie model is a dickhead. <laughs> nice. We'll talk about that model here probably in a minute, but uh one thing I want to talk about just really quickly is I, I did start playing the free folk and I, it, it's fun learning a game and fun learning a new faction because the first time I played them, I played against Nick's Lannisters and I got absolutely demolished because there was a few rules that I wasn't reading closely enough or I wasn't paying attention to. And one of them was, I didn't realize that the free folk are insignificant <laughs> So they don't give up victory points through victory through combat. So you can kill them. You're just not getting any victory points for them. So I know as a Stark player, I feel like the free folk are insignificant. Probably not wrong. That's something Starks are definitely, definitely feel. But, you know, the free folk are the true northerners. What happens beyond the wall stays beyond the wall. <laughs> and but why don't you try and come down here? and We're going to burn you alive at the stake. But yeah, so... I think that it's just once you start playing the faction more, you start picking up on the little rules like that. Um, Also started using like the gang ups and um, there's still stuff that I didn't use even in the second game that I played with the free folk just because they're, they're easy to learn the game. But like I said, it's 
it takes a while to learn all the ins and outs and all the different mechanics that, that you get. And that's just, it's the same thing with, there's a rule on here that I didn't even use. Cause honestly, I didn't even know about it until I just read it on the card, but <laughs> the trappers have an order that I didn't use any of the game. Basically it's uh, an order when an unengaged enemy within long range moves, the enemy suffers D three wounds and triggers a disorderly charge on rolls of two or less. So basically they put out these hidden traps that can mess the enemy up. And I, I didn't even know about it. Cause like I said, I was, just there was so much more going on with this new faction that I've been learning. And I tell you what, the free folk are, they're fun. I love the fact that you can kill them and then you can just play, play one of your tactics cards that brings a whole unit back. That just is so fun. <laughs> yeah. The, those free folk are, they're designed very well in theme. Yeah. And, and it's not like overly, like, even though I was bringing back these whole units, Honestly, I mean, they just do what they do. They kind of pick at you. They might get a couple models loose. But the challenge with them is you really need to coordinate your your assaults because a lot of their rules only work when there's two or more units engaging one unit. So you really do got to use your models to try and get these two-on-one scenarios so that you can do the most damage. And I found using the cheap units alongside the giants is the best way to do that. Because you basically tie somebody down with, you know, either your trappers or you tie them down with your raiders. And then the giants come in and start doing the real damage and getting the benefit from um, benefits from the cards to help out the weaker units. So just definitely really fun to play this. And it plays totally different than the other factions. I was worried in this game that the factions would all play the same, but they play very differently. Yeah, it seems like that's going to be the case. I, I'm just waiting for a Liana Mormont model so that I can stab those giants in the face. Just right, right through the well, eyeball. Rude. <laughs> okay. Rude. So I, I want to ask you this. Like, so I, I know that we're going to, ha- we have people kind of listening in that I'm sure are experienced players and ones that are very new to it. So outside of the very first set of boxes like the the starter boxes or in this case people that back the kickstarter what is the first box that you would get to add on to each of the factions i think just for being the most competitive you want to be i think if there's any of the heroes boxes i think that's going to be the next one that you pick up okay i agree with that so i think no matter which faction you are you want to pick up all your heroes boxes just because that's going to give you the different, you know, non-combat units. That's going to give you a different, I mean, are they called, are they called generals? I don't even know the specific. And commanders. Uh, word. Commanders. Thank commanders you. and attachments. And, and, and the NCUs. Yeah. And they're going to give you all those options. Whereas if you don't pick that box up, you're, you're limiting your options to what you had in the starter. So that would be the first box I would pick up for each, fa- for each, uh, faction yeah Chows. i i i i like that suggestion i agree with that suggestion so you know the lannisters heroes two box the first one comes with the kickstarter stuff the stark heroes two box now i would alter that a little bit with the night's watch and the reason why is there is a craster model that is comes with the free folk stuff but is almost an auto include with the night's watch like it can play for both factions. And so why would you say it's an auto include for them? So now I, I don't, I, I don't play the night's watch, so I'm not super experienced with them, 
Uh, I'll have to ask Russ, Russ, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, in the future. But if you have a way to get that Craster model, I would do that just because it's not convenient to get him as a Night's Watch player. So if you have a way to get that model, I would, I would focus on getting that. So you're saying if you know somebody that like bought two of the starters for the free folk, be like, Hey man, I, you don't need two crasters. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. So, so that would be the only one, but again, it's the same mindset, right? It's, it's choosing basically a hero type model that is able to alter how you play in this case on the sideboard. Yeah. And craster is good because he lets you draw a tactic tactics card and he lets you restore up to two friendly wounds. So He's healing you, and he's getting you another card from your tactics deck. So, I mean, that is a solid thing that he lets you do. That that would just be one that I would... Uh, I, I, I just want to give that note to people that maybe are a little bit less experienced so with the game. Let me, ask you, let me ask you this, Chris. So, there is a neutral faction, right? Mm-hmm. So, well, I shouldn't say neutral faction, but there are neutral units and neutral characters. Have you found in your early experience that it's worth bringing any of those neutral people or neutral characters or units? I don't have a lot of experience with them. However, I got the Stark Heroes 2 box specifically so that I can add some of those heroes to those neutral units. So I really want to try out uh, Jojen Reed with the Bolton Bastard Girls. Because he's able to create some features that can really bump up that that set of models. Apparently, apparently this is like a top secret tactic you're waiting to unleash on, on us before you tell us what it is. What are you is. talking about? I just told you what I'm planning on doing. I'm planning on adding yeah, that model. You, you haven't said how you plan on using it, though. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to figure it out as I go. What do you... <laughs> It's not a grand plan. It's me just like throwing shit against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, there's there's a few different things that I want to try with those uh, flayed men or the Bolton's Bastard Girls. And I don't know yet which ones of those neutral units actually play with which factions best. I'm sure that maybe, you know, maybe with the right attachment the bolton's bastards girls are great with the starks but maybe the flayed men are better with i don't know the night's watch or the the lannisters depending on which attachment you give them so i i i don't have enough experience with those to be able to max them out but i do like from what i've seen the characteristics that's on that uh jojen reed card where he's able to he he has this green sight ability where he's able to roll die and have different effects, and I really like the idea of him being able to give those effects to those Bolton bastard girls. And then I also like that he changes their affiliation to Krennogmen, Kren, <laughs> the fucking Reed people, like the <laughs> like Howland Reed's crew. He makes them part of Howland Reed's crew. So I like the idea of being able to have more of you know those faction friendly or commander friendly models. I don't know anything about that because I don't know if you know this, Chris, but there's no coin beyond the wall. So, okay, well you, you just stay over there and we won't have a problem then. So let's go ahead and do this kind of to wrap up the show here. So looking at our early experiences, and like I said, we've taken some time, we've gotten a bunch of games in 
And we like it so much that we're talking about it. And, you know, we might even get competitive with this thing because it is that kind of game that you can play competitively. So in your early experiences here, Chris, let's start with give us two models that you really love so far that you're a bit or it could be units that you're like, man, I really love using this in my games. Okay, so the two, these are actually from different factions, but I think they're just awesome. I really like those Umber Berserkers a lot. And I kind of explained why I like them, how they hulk out as they take damage. Um, Any models that are able to create that effect of like doing some damage and then they start like blinking red like in a video game (laughs) and they they do more hits. (laughs) I like models like that. So I really like them. The other model that I love and you better not have sold it on eBay is that mountain that rides model because first of all, the model is just, dope and secondly the way that it plays is just cool because he's kind of like a monster or a creature in and of himself where he's just out there on the field like smashing face and so those are probably my two favorite ones to play around with or or to to see out there yeah so my my two favorite just because i've really started to enjoy them are first off the savage giants have just been just disgusting like, even though I don't really know what I'm doing yet with the, you know, the, the free folks, just the giants have just been fun because one, they're basically a 10 wound model because you have to do two wounds to do one. So it's just, and they have five wounds. It's just fun. Yes. They have five wounds. And not only that, it's like, they just have a mighty swing. They're only rolling one die, but they do D three plus one wounds. And then they do plus one additional wound for each wound that they have on them. So the more damage they take, just the more of a monstrosity these things become. I mean, there was a couple of swings there where I was taking off like six or seven models were just coming off, you know, a rank. And it was just was having so much fun with it. Joe was sitting there with me and he's like, dude, you got to make like some giant noises while you're destroying these models. I don't know if that's what a giant sounds like, but no, not, I was not dying Chewbacca, Pete. <laughs> like a dying giraffe. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then another model that I've really enjoyed playing is actually, honestly, just Craster on the on the tactics board. Just because, okay. like I said, he just he can either just take up a normal slot or you can draw a card and get two wounds back for a friendly unit. And Honestly, for three points, I, I think that's pretty decent. He just he, he he just keeps you moving. He just keeps supplying you, and yeah, he's never turned a ranger away from his fire. Nor does he love Mance Raider. Are you like reading some quote off of the card right now? It's the flavor text. Wow. <laughs> so okay, so you like the Giants? You like Craster? Uh, um, by the way, have you heard that? The mountain that rides model isn't like a tournament legal model. Uh, what? Yeah, so like that mountain that rides model, that model that's worth like a shit ton on eBay, apparently like isn't tournament legal. Well, that doesn't seem cool. Yeah, right. Like, I guess the reasoning is it was an exclusive model to the Kickstarter, and so the idea is like not everyone can get it, so like it's not fair to let people play it. But I think that's fucking horseshit because the model isn't broken. It's not like. It's not like its gameplay isn't functional within the game or that people are just dominating because they put that model on the table. I have no problem with, you know, 
a limited edition model like that. I, I just disagree with that. But well, anyway. and that's that's something. And where I'm not it's even like, playing them. <laughs> I think that as long as you ask a TO, like if I was running an event and somebody's like, "Hey, can I use the mountain that rides?" I'll be like, "Hey, if you got the model, man, go ahead and run it." Yeah, I I, I, I think it's a cool ass model, so I want to be able to see it on the table. Well, if there's somebody that is more like familiar with the competitive scene right now. I mean, if there's a reason why you that the mountain shouldn't be included in tournaments, I mean, please let us know. But as far as we can see from the mountain that rides there, he's good. But I mean, it, it's it's dealable, like right. I mean, one thing I've learned from this game is that you can win this game without killing a single unit. Yeah. I mean, if you that's not as fun, but yes, if you outposition <laughs> your opponents or if you you know, claim the objectives or if you're being smarter, you can win the game without killing a bunch of stuff. So if the mountain's just riding around, you know, killing a few models here and there, I mean, he might kill a unit, what, two units maybe? And maybe you're doing something else while the mountain's just riding around. But I don't know if you're the Night's Watch, why don't you just shoot him with, you know, your scorpion? Yeah, see, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think it's like an out of balance I will tell you what that mountain that rides will kill every time is dire wolves as I have tried to attack him with them and it always goes belly up. I mean, the mountains killed horses and, and cut men in halves. So, uh, they're dire wolves. They should be a little bit hardier than they are. That's fair. Yeah. I, I, I wish that I could get more. Now that ghost model, the dire wolf that you get with the night's watch for John, that model is a bitch. So, models that Chris hates. Chris, why do you hate Ghost? Dude, that fucking Ghost model. Well, first of all, I didn't realize that I was, like, being cheated. (laughs) Not intentionally. When you read his card, it says that for the rest of the turn, uh, the opponent can't play tactics cards. And so we thought that meant the rest of, like, the entirety of the round. Yeah. Because, like, that the term turn... Gets used in gaming, you know, the way that the term round is being used in this game. So I was like, wait, wait. So this guy attacks me as the first activation, and then I like can't do shit for the rest of <laughs> the rest of this turn. Yeah, and- because those of you that don't know, you can't play tactics cards while Ghost or John is activating, right? I think it's while Ghost is, but it's like a dual activation because they're like linked together. Yeah. And so, yes, in effect. In effect, yes, you with John or Ghost, you can't use tactics cards. And so that's like just a huge freaking pain. Um, So kill the fucking dog. Yeah, I got well, I got cheated. But either way, that's still a pain to deal with. And so as soon as you can kill fucking Ghost. Any other models that you've been like, man, I hate that model. Um, Let's see. No, I mean, that that, that's kind of the that's the big one that I've I've had the experience with. That I, I just thought this was shitty. Um, but all of them, I mean, almost every single one of the units, they have something that's kind of unique that it could be like a gotcha, right? Like yeah. where you go into them and then they're able to attack back and do some wounds to your guys, even though you're the active player or, you know, little things like that. You're able to get guys back on the on the field of battle and that sort of stuff. So it, Every unit, like, you kind of have to know what they do, but that ghost one, 
was the only one where I was like, this is some fucking bullshit right now. I, I tell you a unit that I hate. I hate those Lannister crossbowmen. Those guys are kind of surprisingly good. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I wasn't playing the tactics board at all, really. So then, yeah, they got to shoot twice at me, and I was just like, okay, and there's a bunch of dead people. Yeah, that's always kind of an interesting situation where, like, you're on the tactics board, and there are things that like greatly benefit your opponent. And sure. You're like, do I take this space so that it denies him that space? Or do I do something that is more helpful to me? Yeah. And that's always kind of this nice little like push and pull mini game that goes on on that in that element of the game. Yeah. And that's one of those things where you'll be sitting there and you're kind of like, I kind of want to restore the wounds on this unit. But man, I can't let him get that attack one, right? I can't let him make one free attack. So I got to take that because I can't let him take it. Yeah. Yeah. And those types of situations happen all the time. I was actually in my game with Nick tonight, and there were two spots that I really didn't care about, but I had the objective card where if I chose those two spots, it would give me some victory points. And so I was like, all right, I guess I'll pick this and have you roll a panic test that's useless to me. Yeah, right. You want to know? You, you want to know who doesn't like making panic tests? The free folk. Uh, the undisciplined <laughs> free folk <laughs> that will like, not hold ranks. <laughs> I'm just like son of a bitch. <laughs> I'll tell you which ones are awesome for that, or, or awesome for just like blowing up or those pyromancers, because like they can throw all that you know wildfire, but. Once you go into them, like their saves are like sixes. Like they're just, you're just going to, you know, explode that entire unit. And that's a lot of fun. I mean, they're, they're wearing bathrobes with, you know, explosives. So they're, they're just ready to catch on fire and die. Yep. Yep. So that's, the, and it's fun to wreck them. I'll tell you what, I wish that there was a way that I could kill some of the NCUs though. Cause there are sometimes where people have these NCUs out there and I'm like, this guy's a pain in the ass. Like, so it, it's funny you say that though, because I don't know if you've looked through all the, I don't know, what are they? The little ad- objective cards, mm-hmm. the ones that you put on the objective points. I've looked through I've, them. I've, yeah. There's one where you can pick an NCU and their abilities are blank. So there are ways to kind of manipulate and screw over those NCUs. Well, and you obviously need to take advantage of that where you can, but. Uh, I do find it kind of interesting that, you know, somebody could get the entire, their entire crew wiped off the board, but those NCUs still live and they're still wheeling and dealing in the back rooms and they could still pull victory from the jaws of defeat. I mean, you got to have something on the board though. Well, no, it depends, right? Because let's say, let's say you have that card that I talked about, like that uh, victory point card where if you claim this, space you get a victory point and you're at nine victory points or whatever right like yeah you could still get your win even if you don't have people on the table yeah i guess you're right so so like there are ways that like they're not that is the you know get good pro tip for newbies type of you know thing that people should take away from this for those that haven't played the game or that are less experienced with the game do not underestimate the value of those ncus they are oh, yeah, very sure. valuable. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have a ton of experience list building, obviously, just because we're just getting into the game. But one thing I feel like is 
at 40 points, which is the typical tournament point level, that I think you need at least two NCUs. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, and I've I've lately been running three. I just feel like they're. I don't know. I'd have to look at it. I, I just feel like those NCUs are just very efficient for the points that they cost. Like uh, so many times, I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, I would rather have the effects that this NCU gives me than the effects that this attachment gives because the NCUs can affect the whole game, whereas the attachment on one unit might only be able to affect that one unit. And so yeah. just something to think about um, for those that do want to kind of get into building lists and those types of things, I would recommend there's an app called war council and I'm sure you can get it on, you know, either Android or, you know, Apple devices. Yeah, you, you, you can get it on either one. Yeah, so that that's a really good app because it has great resources on it. It's got all the cards. I think come on is the actual company that puts it out. So uh, that they have really good control on it. And I like that it's a free app. They're not like charging like freaking privateer press does. So, yeah, right. Um, you know, that's, that's a good way to get into building some lists and making sure that you understand what your opponents do and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's a cool thing. You can actually put in like all the models that you own, you can put into the app. And then that way, when you're creating your list, you can just build a list off of all the stuff you have. Or you can pick everything from the range, so that way you can maybe list build and see what you want to what you want to eventually buy. So definitely a really cool app. It's pre- it's pretty clean. I haven't seen any glitches or hiccups with it. Yeah, it doesn't crash all the time. the the only The only flaw with the app, though, is I would like it if I could play from the app with the tactics cards. Hmm. So like you you have access to all the tactics cards on there, and you can see what they do. But the issue is, like, I'd like to be able to just play straight from the app, like, have my list, and then be able to, like, shuffle my tactics cards and put them into a hand that is kept on my phone. And that way I don't have to mess with, like, literal cards. I can just... Well, I think the problem with that is there are some abilities that let you re-add it into your hand or into your car, into your uh, deck, I should say. That's solvable. Listen. I mean, not by me, because I don't know about computers, but... (laughs) I would say you're the non-tech Asian, okay? So <laughs> listen, I, I just feel like without any sort of knowledge of what I'm talking about at all, that that's a problem that there could be a solution to and it wouldn't be a difficult one. So, you know, I, I guess somebody with a computer science degree get on that shit. See, and I don't I wouldn't like that. I don't think so just because I wouldn't say you would do this, Chris, but I mean, how easy would it be to you know, to be like, oh, I'm going to refresh, refresh, refresh until I get, you know, the starting three cards that I want. And then, okay, now I'm going to keep that hand. Yeah, I, I guess uh, people can always point to that kind of stuff with apps, but that's not usually the issue, right? Like, I mean, you can talk about apps where it's like, well, on the app, they might not mark off the proper amount of damage. And it's like, sure, I guess that's true. That's possible. But it's possible on cards, too. It's like... You know, there, there are ways that people try and manipulate that stuff with cards, too, especially for somebody that has a magician's like sleight of hand like myself. Obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd like that. I'd like to have it on an app and just be able to play off the app. But the app is very, very useful. I do use it and very, very useful for building lists. I like that you can save multiple lists on there. And so I'm working on one that has, you know, some Boltons in it. So right now. those 
those of you that are listening to this, if you would please harass Chris, either via Facebook or via just whatever means you have, harass like him to paint his Starks. Yes. Harass him to paint his Starks so that way we can do some battle reports and put some stuff up on the old internet for both. All right, fine. Whatever. I'm just going to, first of all, I'm just going to spray paint him gray, hit him with uh, some dry brushing, and then like sprinkle some snow on it. And I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, they're in a blizzard. There you go. What? Boom. These are Starks. Play it painted. Let's go. We just got into it. All right, Chris. Anything else you wanna you wanna say before we uh, before we get out of here? Not a lot. Just that I'm excited about this game. I think it's a really cool game. I think that the theme of it and the and the story that it's based on uh, is fantastic. And you know, for those that are listening that haven't gotten into it yet or are just you know hearing about it for the first time, like definitely worthwhile and a lot of fun. Yeah. So just real quick for those of you that uh, don't know, you can find us on Twitter. We have the Rage Quit Wire Twitter page. You can also find us on Facebook. I'm trying to get Chris better at posting on the Facebook page. Uh, we do release a bunch of content. Well, you got to tell me when you're releasing the podcast, dude. <laughs> you got to send me like a link. That's f- and then I'll like copy and paste the link. That's fair. So you can also, if you feel like you, you like what we're talking about, you like the content, like we're going to plan on doing this pretty much as frequently, at least as our like uh, Guild Ball podcast. So if you like what we're talking about and you want to support us, uh, we do have a Patreon page, so you can go ahead and log on to that. It's just Patreon, Rage Quit Wire, and you can find us and you can donate. We actually have custom dice, so if you donate at certain levels, you can get uh, about a, you know 10 or 12 dice. And then if you donate more, you can even get a t-shirt. So as, as we typically do here, for those that are listening, we'll see you next time. Roll dice, throw salt. We're out. Peace.